just going to read from God's Word now, and uh, it's, <laughs> is that okay? Uh, it's Ephesians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, I'd love you to uh, turn it on or open it. And um, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, particularly one verse um, as well. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, and then Stuart's going to come and share about this as we continue our series on clarity and mystery. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, this is God's Word. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And we thank God for His word to us. Thank you so much, Rick, um, for leading us in prayer and for reading God's Word. Um, we're going to think clarity and mystery again, working through this next part of Paul's letter um, to the Ephesians, this manifesto for the church that we've been thinking about over these last few weeks. And in Ephesians 3, what we see here and what Rick has read for us um, is God's plan again, um, that we heard a little bit about last week, God's plan for the Gentiles um, remember, that is us. We are included within that. We were those far off, um, those barbarians, rebels, um, those outside the kingdom and purposes of God. Um, and Paul reveals God's plan for the Gentiles again in these verses. What I want us to think about this morning, um, I want us to think about what I see as two motions of grace in this passage, two motions of grace that both center around the very same phrase that Paul uses twice. Um, and this phrase is first found in verses 2 to 3, where Paul writes this. He says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. It's that phrase, God's grace given to me. God's grace given to me for you. So I want to think about two motions or movements that we see in these verses of God's grace towards Paul and, and also available and revealed to us. So the first grace 
um, or unmerited favor of God given to Paul is what I'm calling the grace of revelation. The grace of revelation, this mystery of one body of God's people one body of God's people. Paul spells out in these verses that the mystery um, that has now been revealed by God to his people is that there is one body of his people, only one body, only one group of Christians in the world. There can only be one group of people together who follow Jesus. God has revealed that. And we talked about this last week. We talked about um, how there is this reconciling power in the gospel. Um, There's this bringing together nature of what God does through the work of Jesus. That in Christ there is a new humanity, a new citizenship. We are a new people. We are one body under the name of Jesus in the one kingdom of God. So we're re-emphasizing that. Paul is re-emphasizing that in these verses. He's already spoken about this in chapter 2, but he's hammering at home here in chapter 3. And I want to remind us that the ways of the world do not work here. Bitterness is not fostered here in the church. Hatred has no place here. Barriers between the other are not welcome within the the people of God. There is a reconciling power within the gospel. Walls of hostility come down in the name of Jesus, or at least they should do. When the Holy Spirit is at work, walls of hostility come down. Healing comes to hearts that have been hurt. Reconciliation comes towards that which has been wrecked. I know that a number of you last week were, were touched by what God was saying to us. It was incredible to hear um, the stories of, of God really speaking um, through his word last week, to be honest, in ways that I hadn't anticipated or um, didn't expect. But isn't that how God works? Um, people being touched by what God was saying. And perhaps God graced you last week with a revelation of what he is doing or, or wanting to do within a situation in your life. Maybe God put his finger on something last week where you really need the power of the gospel, where you really need the the work of the Spirit of God. If that has lingered with you all week, it maybe has. Maybe you didn't get to speak with someone last week, but it's lingered with you, this sense of God speaking to you or putting his finger on something in your life, then we would love to connect with you after our service and pray with you and to pray for you. So here we read that the mystery of Christ has been revealed by the Holy Spirit, revealed to Paul, who is an apostle of the Lord Jesus, who then reveals it to the Ephesians by writing this letter to them, and then it's also revealed to us today. Isn't that how this works? This is how it works. Remember that when we're talking about mystery, I think we said this right at the beginning, when we talk about the mystery of Christ, we're not talking about something dark or sinister or puzzling um, in the sense of that word um, in the way it might be interpreted in our kind of modern English context. We're not talking about something dark or puzzling or sinister when we speak of mystery. What we're talking about is something that has been kept hidden from human understanding and knowledge but has now been revealed, has been disclosed to us, revealed by the Holy Spirit to all people. And in verse 6, Paul tells us exactly what that is. 
He says this in verse 6, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Together, together, together. There's an emphasis on togetherness, Jews and Gentiles together. This mystery is a mystery of one people group in Christ, only one a united people, a unified force for good and for God in this world, the church. It's the church. It's who we are as the people of God. We are a people group. We are a particular people group who transcend, who beautifully transcend all ethnic, racial, geographical barriers. We are a people group distinct in our togetherness in Christ we're heirs, we're members, and we are sharers in all that God has for us. John Stott comments on this um, beautifully, and he says this. He says, what Paul is declaring is that Gentile and Jewish Christians together are now fellow heirs of the same blessing, fellow members of the same body, and fellow partakers of the same promise. And this shared privilege is both in Jesus Christ and through the gospel, through the good news. So Paul takes us in this moment, I believe, to the very heart and substance of the mystery that's been revealed. The mystery that was kept hidden for years but is now absolutely revealed by the Spirit of God to the apostles and prophets and then to us today as God's people sitting here in Northern Ireland, that it is possible, it is absolutely a reality that there can be complete union between two polar opposite groups of people through union with Jesus Christ, through the work of Jesus, that it is absolutely possible that this power of the cross is still at work today. Sometimes I wonder if as Christians we really believe that, the power of the gospel to do this work. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that in the name of Jesus, barriers can come down, the Spirit of God can work? Those who are miles apart from God and from each other can be brought close and brought into union and fellowship with Jesus and with each other. It's the power of the cross. It's the power in the name of Jesus. So the first grace that is given to Paul was the grace of this revelation, this beautiful revelation that the mystery is of one body of God's people in the name of Jesus. Paul then uses the very same phrasing in verse seven, if you're following down. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And I'm calling this the grace of commission the grace of commission. Not only does Paul understand who we are as the church and what he is part of, this new humanity, this new citizenship, this new people group, but he understands that God has graced him. God has given him freely this gift of commission. He has a calling upon his life. There is a mission that he is to be on in cooperation with God. That's what a commission is. There is a mission for him to live and it's the challenge of a life arranged around this mystery and mission of God. 
We see that in the life of Paul. I think it's worth remembering before we look at how Paul arranged his entire life around the gospel of Jesus and the mission of God. I think it's good that we remember that he was a prisoner. Paul is incarcerated in these moments. He's bound up in prison, which probably means that life wasn't overly pleasant for him. Life probably wasn't that great in this moment when he writes these words to the Ephesians. Now, you and I, we have some legitimate stuff that we're dealing with. I I know that um, in our lives right now. There's legitimate um, stuff that we're working through. But let's be honest, um, we do a lot of complaining, don't we, about things that we call first world problems. You're looking puzzled. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We all struggle with these first world problems. You know exactly what I mean. Um, Don't pretend that you don't. Um, Do you know what the top five first world problems are? Do you want me to enlighten you? You're dying to know. Number one. Number one is having a runny nose. (laughs) Poor us. Poor you. Number two. Number two. Calls from unknown numbers. Such a pain, isn't it? Who is that ringing me? How dare they? I don't know the number. Number three, being left on hold when calling a company. How dare they leave us on hold and put that awful music on for an hour? Number four, receiving a We Missed You card for a failed parcel delivery. Did they not see the two cars in the driveway? and understand that we were in. They didn't even attempt to find out if I was in. Number five in the top five first world problems is this, people who ignore queuing etiquette in shops. (laughs) Mate, do you not know the queues that way? You know that one? You've just bunked five people. First world problems. (sighs) Paul is incarcerated, he's in prison. In this moment, Ephesians is a prison letter. I think we need to remember that. Ephesians is a prison letter. Life isn't overly good for Paul. Yes, we sometimes put the likes of the Apostle Paul on a real pedestal, and rightly so, he's an incredible man of God. Absolutely crucial in what God has done in history. Paul has a very, very special role, but he is in prison. He is an ordinary person who finds himself behind bars for walking in the way of Jesus, for his faith in the Lord Jesus, for his belief and his living out of the good news message of Christ. Yet Paul is undeterred by his circumstances, isn't he? He's absolutely committed to what God is doing in the world and through him, through his life. Jesus is Lord is the the declaration of Paul's life, even in prison. Jesus is Lord. God has graced Paul with all that he needs for his commission. Even when he is in prison, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over your life as well. If you're a follower of Jesus, whatever you're dealing with, whatever life has brought your way, Jesus is Lord. He still reigns. He still rules over all. Jesus is Lord. 
There's no doubt Paul has this unique and personal role in God's purpose and mission in the world. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the one who would take the good news to those outside the Jewish people. He says here in verses 7 to 9 about being graced with God's power to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. It's a wonderful phrase. He knows the riches that are his and and he knows that God has gifted and graced him to go and and to proclaim and preach and tell and live out this wonderful message of the, the riches that are his in Christ. And he knows that God is doing that in the world and is using him in what he is doing. Paul had a unique calling. He had a personal role in all of this and his life was arranged around that. But I believe that we too, you and I, followers of Jesus today, the same Lord Jesus, we must understand the mission of God and we too must arrange our lives around who God is and what God is doing in and through and all around us, how he may be wanting to use us and what he's doing here on planet earth. Sorry if this offends anyone, but often if we're honest, we arrange our lives around personal comfort and convenience when instead we're called by Jesus to to arrange our lives around God's mystery and mission. We're called to arrange our lives around who God is, what Jesus has done in and through us and how he sends us back out into the world to make him known. Let me speak personally for a moment or two and anything I'm about to share is not in any way for a pat on the back or any kind of applause. In fact, I deeply resonate and I love, Rick said he loves these, I love these words too. I love this passage. My heart deeply resonates with Paul when he says this. He says, although I am the least of all God's people. You know, I I am humbled, truly humbled by all that God has done in my life. I can resonate with Paul when he says, I feel like the least, like I don't have a whole lot to offer, that in many ways I made a mess of my life, but God has come and in grace picked me up and given me this incredible purpose to live. I'm humbled, very humbled by all that God has done in my life and in my family, but I have been trying now for the best part of 20 years to arrange my life around what I see God doing in the world, in the place that he has me, how he might be wanting to use me in his plans and purposes. And rather than arrange and settle my life for comfort and convenience, I deeply want my life and that of my family to be shaped around the beautiful mystery of the gospel and the mission of God in this world. This has happened on a number of occasions, a rearranging of life around what God is doing, what we sense God doing, what we sense the Lord leading us to and doing among us and with us. One particular moment, let me just share this for the purposes of of just illustrating what I believe Paul is talking about here. One particular moment of rearranging happened as I sat at Union College, and I maybe have shared this before, but I met with the then Dean of Ministerial Studies to talk about this really strange sense of what God was doing in my life, this potential call to this thing that people call ministry, 
in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, I was confused, unsure of what God was doing. Never ever thought for one second that I would be doing this with my life. I think I said this before, but it was never something I talked about in one of those you know, interviews at school with the careers advisor, what do you want to do? I want to be a Presbyterian minister. Never came into the equation. And I sat there outside Union College having met with this man to talk about the sense of what, what God was doing in my life. The Holy Spirit was at work in that moment, prompting, leading, stretching my heart and my mind towards what God was doing in my life and how he was wanting to use me. God does that, you know, if we let him. He reveals things to us. He prompts us. He shows us. He stretches our heart and our mind to what he might want to do in and through us. And as I sat on that bench in the entrance hall, the Union College, I opened my Bible and it fell open. It's not a recommended way of hearing the word of God, the voice of God. Well, it is because God always speaks through his word. But I just opened the Bible and it fell open at today's passage, at these words that we've read today, these words of Paul. I read this in that moment where Paul writes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Lord, that resonates with me. You've grace gifted me to share you. Verse 8, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, that's me, God. get that, feel like, like there's no way you could be doing this in my life. But this grace, Paul writes, was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Jesus, you set my heart on fire. I know that I want to make you known in this world. Verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, you hear that? Through the church, through you and I, through me, through you, through us, through this thing, this gathering, through what God has put together, in groups like this that we call the church, you seated here, you're central in history, central in what God is doing in his plan for this world. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Yes, Lord, I want to make you known. I want to make you famous in this world, in places where people do not want to mention your name. I want to make you Known, And it's all according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know what? In that moment, the Holy Spirit had spoken. In a moment in time, he had taken the word of God, penetrated my heart, and these words came to life within me. And that was it. I was to rearrange my entire life around this purpose and calling. You know what? I could have wept. I probably did. Overwhelmed with a mix of joyful surrender and a solemn awareness of what the rearrangement and journey would cost us 
as a family. It's a Christian life, isn't it? God doesn't call any of us to settle for comfort and convenience. In many ways, I know you're sitting there thinking, that's your life. So God has done with you. Your calling and purpose is unique. I know that. I understand that. I totally understand that. But in another way, we're all in the very same position. We're all in the very same position. We've been given one life to live. And the way that we arrange or rearrange our lives, listen to me, the way that we arrange, rearrange, structure our lives can determine our experience of the blessing of what God wants to do in and through us in this world. Are your eyes opened to that? How is your life arranged? How do you set yourself up? It's entirely possible, isn't it, to be the best school teacher or sales assistant, the best barrister or bricklayer, the best medical practitioner or machine operator, caretaker or cleaner, systems analyst or student, the very best at what you do in the whole of Northern Ireland, in the whole of the world. But if we have not first arranged our lives around the priorities and purposes that God has for us, in the mystery of the gospel and in the mission of God, we might miss out on what God has for us, on the way that he wants to bless us and use us to be a blessing to other people. You see, it's through us, the church, that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known. I'm giving my life to that and to helping you do the same thing. That's why we're gathered here. We want to make the manifold wisdom of God known in this world, right across this planet, beginning here in Carmoney. God's manifold wisdom being made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, Paul writes. You know what? Interestingly, that's a reference to both good and evil spiritual powers, both angels and demons, angels of God, Demons, those of the, the dark underworld of Satan. You see, it's so, so possible that when we arrange and live our lives on earth around the purposes of God, the angels will glorify God. And you know what? Satan and his demons will shudder. They will shrink back when they see the people of God arranging their lives around the purposes and the mission of God in this world. The angels will worship, the demons will shudder, the kingdom of God will advance. Revelation and commission, that's what we see in this passage. And I believe that God is giving us both of those today, a revelation of the beauty of the church, this church, who he wants us to be, and a commission in how he wants us to live our lives. I'm going to read a quote. Let me invite our worship team um, to the front. We're going to worship God in a moment. Um, so as the group come forward, come on ahead, guys. Sometimes when, when we go through things like this, you're sitting thinking, I cannot be part of that. I'm so broken and so hurting I feel so far away from any kind of blessing. Listen to this. 
Let me invite you to stand. We're going to sing, so let's stand together. We're going to sing in a moment. In a conversation yesterday with Rick, he reminded me of a, a quote. Um, I'm going to read that from John Tyson's book, Beautiful Resistance, The Joy of Conviction in an Age of Compromise. John Tyson writes this. He says, There is a rumor going around the West that in spite of the avalanche of change and the often repeated accusation of irrelevance, a church has actually survived. Yes, she is stained. Yes, she is broken. But she is here. Her Lord is at work within her. The bride is becoming beautiful. His presence is becoming tangible. The body is becoming functional. Beauty is rising and resisting the brokenness. Then he writes this, he will get the glory, but you and I can be part of the process. He will get the glory, but you and I can be part of the process. I felt led to a really important moment of response today, and maybe you're here today. Um, so I'm going to take a bit of a risk in response. I'm going to pray in a moment. But if this resonates with you, I want you to just come to the front. I'm going to pray for you if this resonates with your heart, because I believe it does. So just as we come to pray, um, let's just bow our heads before God. You know, and maybe you have felt broken, worn out, almost on the edge of giving up on this whole church thing. But you've been hearing from God and you stand here this morning and in your heart before God, you're wanting to say, I am still here, Lord. I am still here. I want to be part of what you're doing. I sense beauty rising out of brokenness. Grace is flowing. Mercy is rising. If that's you, I would love you to come forward. You're saying, I'm still here. If that's you, just come down to the front. I'm just going to pray for you in a very ordinary moment of prayer before we sing. I'm still here, Lord. That's what we're thinking about. I am still here. A church has actually survived, but you have actually survived. And you're saying today, I'm still here, Lord. Beauty is rising out of brokenness. I have felt broken, but I sense your beauty in my life again. I am still here. If there's anyone else, you want to just come forward. I'm just going to pray in a moment. I am still here, Lord, despite all that's happened. I want you to rearrange 
my hurts and my longings, Lord, I'm still here. I'm still here. This morning is about that grace of revelation. Revelation of the goodness of God. And then a grace of a commissioning in your life to go again. I'm still here, Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us through the ordinary means of your grace, through your word. Your spirit works in this place. And Father, we pray for these, these people at the front, Father, and this resonates with their heart. I am still here. Lord God, we pray that in this moment and as we respond and worship, Lord God, that that sense of the faithfulness of God, that there would be a revelation of your goodness and your faithfulness, Father, that you are the faithful one, so unchanging. I'm still here. You are here, God, and I am still with you. So, Lord God, in this moment, we pray that you would bring beauty out of brokenness, that grace would flow, that mercy would rise, that that spirit of standing strong upon the promises of God would resonate especially with those standing at the front in this moment. Lord God, we love you. We love how you work. We love how your spirit takes the word of God and makes it come alive in our hearts. We are still here, Lord. Your church is here. We love you and we worship you. Let beauty rise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.